All right. Uh, so today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, remember last week I was, we were, we were uh, praying Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, right? And I don't know if you remember, I said I kind of had another way I was hoping to go, but uh, just on my couch praying, God just hits me. I'm at Ephesians 3 and he's just rocking me with this prayer and I'm like, oh, that's where we have to go with the church. And so I put this message that I'm going to do now aside. So that's what we did that one last week. So today I'm doing the the message or the talk on what I wanted to do last week. So um, that's what we'll be doing. And then next week we'll get back into the Sermon on the Mount to get through that. It's probably going to, Pastor Brian, you think it's going to take the whole year for me to get through it, <laughs> the way I'm going, the pace. So um, so today we're going to, we're going to talk about, where's my guy, Fernando? Fernando. Okay, he's normally here asking me about a title. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know I like my colons. And so uh, I would title this, The Purpose of Our Lives, Aim and Vision. Aim and Vision. Like a marksman aiming at his target and having a vision of what he wants to hit. And so uh, that's how I would, I would title this, Aim and Vision. And, and the base scripture, this is going to be a topical sermon, so we're going to go a couple different places, but the, the base Scripture would be Philippians 3.14. That would be the base scripture. So, but let us pray and then we'll go forward. Lord God, Holy Spirit, I'm just praying, God, wherever I'm lacking, just, Lord, make up for that so that your word can go clear, God. Make your word clear to your people, Lord. Make your word uh, just hit the heart, hit the target. God, I, I pray that my brothers and sisters are encouraged by your word as I have been encouraged. God, as you've been encouraging me and just show me how to live this life according to your way and your will, Lord. So that is my prayer today, that vision, that my brothers and sisters will get vision, uh, stronger vision, clear focus, focusing on the target, remembering their course of life and, and going at it. God, that is my prayer. Hi, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, what do Abraham, Moses, Paul, Jesus, what do they all have in common? Not they're all men, I know that. <laughs> so that wasn't the one. <laughs> but they all had vision. And what I meant by that is that they were not aimlessly living in this world. But they had a target. They had an end goal. And they visualized that end goal while on their journey towards it. They visualized it on their journey towards the end goal. And we're at the beginning of the year now. And so at the beginning of the year, we like to do New Year's resolutions. Some people do, which is okay. And, and, and in these resolutions, we make many goals, right? We have many targets, many things that we want to accomplish, some of those are noble and some of those are not. Um, they, they range from things like I want to uh, get out of debt this year, right? I hear some people say, I want to get out of debt this year or I want to cut my debt in half, which is a good thing um, for that. Um, you have other things where people say, I want to lose a couple of pounds this year, right? I'm, I'm going to go back to the gym this year. I'm going to run a mile. I'm going to jog. I'm going to do all of those things. And some people say, I'm going to make sure that I read to my child every day this year or whichever or every week or however you're going to do it. And so we have these goals or others will say, it's my goal to get just a better job, right? I, I, tired of this job. I want to get a better job. And these are all goals and desires that many people have at New Year's. And 
Those are good things. There's nothing wrong with it. However, my concern is that the pursuit of these temporal things may overtake our true and ultimate goal, or what should be our true and ultimate goal, uh, which is God, his purposes and his mission for us to know him. That is the ultimate goal. That should be our ultimate passion. But sometimes we can put our temporal uh, goals and, and visions over those things. And so that, that is my concern at this new year period, that we forget the target, that we miss the mark, that we start changing the trajectory to something else. At this time of New Year's or any time where you're planning your goals. But there was one person in the scripture who was laser focused, I would say. He was laser focused on his vision. He, he knew where he was going. He knew his purpose. He knew the end goal. And that was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was laser focused. And that's why here in our, in our main text, Philippians 3.14 as I mentioned, uh, like two years ago, I think it was, or if like if Paul had one New Year's resolution, it would be this to know him, to pursue him. And so we have here in Philippians 314, Paul saying this, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is what Paul is doing. He said he is pressing towards the goal or the mark of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So Paul was not just wasting his life, right? He was not just waking up and just doing whatever he wants to do. But Paul, he had an aim. As he would say in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 26, he was not running aimlessly. He was not like a... I was listening to a MacArthur sermon and he was talking about how he hates jogging because you're just running with no real end goal. And I like he likes races because, you know, there's a race and there's an end goal and somebody wins, and somebody loses. And so Paul is saying in first Corinthians nine, 26, that he's just not running aimlessly. And he said he's not like a boxer who's just shadow boxing, beating the air, just kind of throwing blows. But no, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows the mission. He knows what he is shooting for. He, he understands his purpose. And so Paul is aiming for the prize. And, and he shows us uh, what some of that prize looks like or what that prize uh, is. He says in uh, verse 12, if you back up a little bit, look what he says here. Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So he's showing us what his prize is, what he's trying to lay a hold of, what he is pursuing, what he's trying to grab. And and guess what? Guess guess what Greek word he uses here when he says, I want to lay hold. He uses the same Greek word that we discussed last week. Do you remember the Greek word we talked about, katalambano? I know my Greek is bad, but do you remember that when we were talking about Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and how he prayed that they would get their hands around the depth, width, and love of God? You guys remember that last week? The katalambano, he said, I want you to seize it and get your arms around the depth and love of, of God. Paul is using that same word right here in Philippians. He's saying he wants to seize God. He wants to get him. He wants to be able to wrap his hands around about uh, Christ and, and make him his. So he's using that same word here, katalambano, meaning I want to seize. But here's the beauty in this verse, in verse 12. The beauty in verse 12 is Paul says that I want to lay hold of that which also was laid hold of me. So what Paul is saying, he has already been katalambanoed by Christ Jesus. He has, he, has, he has already been seized by Christ Jesus. 
See, this word, the, the prefix of this Greek word, katalambano, kata, K-A-T-A, the, the prefix of this word, it implies hostility. And when you're taking something, it, it applies hostility. So it means that I'm not just grabbing something like this, but I'm snatching it and I'm seizing it and I'm making it mine. It, it's kind of like, um, have you ever played with a two-year-old? Right? Right. Riley's not here, so I can talk about it, right? You, you play with a two-year-old. What is the word that is constantly coming out that two-year-old's mouth when you're playing with them? It's no, and when it's a toy, they're saying mine, right? They're saying no, this is, this is mine. That is the word. If you're playing with Riley and she's sitting down, she's with her brothers and sisters, she'll grab this, she'll go, no, mine. And she'll go like this, right? Riley is the example. She's the personification of Catalambano. That's what that means. She's seizing his toys and, and she's snatching it and she's saying, mine, mine. Paul is saying that is what Jesus has done with him. He's saying Jesus has snatched him like that two-year-old. He has seized him and grabbed him and said, mine, mine. See, he's, he's saying that Jesus has catalambanoed him. Jesus has seized him. He has seized him and snatched him from death. He has seized him and snatched him from sin. He has seized him and snatched him from the grip of Satan and made him his own. That's what catalambano means. You're seizing something to make it your own. And Paul is saying, Jesus has done that for me. So my goal is just, I just want to get my hands on the person who has already seized me and made me his own. And so, so that is his mission. That is the, the goal that we see with this brother Paul. He just wants to get his hands around Christ who has grabbed him and snatched him from death, from sin, from, 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 from darkness and has made him his. And the cool thing about Paul is that we actually can see when Christ actually snatched Paul. Because remember Paul in Acts, he was on what? Damascus Road, right? Paul is traveling on, on Damascus Road and he's walking to go and to persecute other Christians and, and Christ just comes down and blinds him. And from there he, he snatches Paul's heart and, and grabs him and make Paul his and, and Paul falls in love with Jesus. And, and that's the same for many of us. Some of us, we were just going aimlessly in life and, and, and we heard the message of, of, of the gospel. We heard somebody preaching maybe in the street. Somebody gave us a, a track or whatever it was. We heard a sermon and it just took our heart. God, it's like God just grabbed us and, and, and made us his. It's, it's kind of like when you were dating. If you think about you, when you first started dating that person that you're married to for the married people and it was just something about that woman. She just grabbed your heart. She just took it. You couldn't necessarily put your hand right on it. It's just something about just being with her and knowing that she just took your heart, just seized it and made it hers. And so Paul is saying, that's what's happening here. That's, that's what happened to him. And so now his goal is to just, I just want to know more of that person who so loved me, who so snatched me, who so made me his own. See, this verse, it, it echoes of, of John 10, 27. John 10, 27 to 30. Remember that verse where Jesus says this? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, look, and no one, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who has given them to me is... uh. 
greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father am one. Are you seeing the connection here with Contalambano? He's already been seized by Christ. And then we have Jesus saying it right here in the gospel that, that you are in my hand, my sheep. And once you go through the Old Testament, you'll see the gospel narrative there where God is snatching his people and he's making them his own. He's holding them by the hand. You see that in the Psalms and, and in Isaiah. See, it's, that's the narrative of the gospel of the Bible. It's God snatching and making people, sinners, broken people like you and me, his own. So Paul sees that. And that becomes the focus of his life. That becomes his mission. That becomes his chief goal. I just want to know him. I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know this person who has grabbed me. He wants to know him, he says, and he just wants to complete the mission that Christ has given him. And you can find him actually making this statement in, in Acts uh, 20. Tell me there. Tell me to Acts 20, verse 22. Paul has been so grabbed by Christ that he just wants to know him. And he wants to do whatever he says because he's so in love with this Lord who has seized him, who has taken him. And I'm hoping that you're feeling the same as our brother Paul, that you realize how you've been seized by Christ, how you were in the grips of sin, how you were in the grips of lust or may have been and different addictions. And Christ just came and just seized you and cleaned you up and made you his own. I hope you can relate to our brother Paul here and praise God that you have been apprehended by Christ. And so Paul, being apprehended by Christ, in love with Jesus, making that his mission, says this in, in Acts 20, verse 22. Matter of fact, before I get there, let me just kind of give you some little background here. So Paul, is he's doing his farewell tour, if you will. He's doing his goodbye tour. Um, Paul is preparing to go to Jerusalem and ultimately Rome to die. And so he, he knows it. And so he's going now to all the churches that he's planted. And he's telling the people, he's hugging them and saying, I've preached the gospel to you. Stay strong. And so he's going and just telling people, bye, I'm leaving. And so we pick up here in verse 20 um, doing that event. So a little background here. And so in verse 20, he says, I'm sorry, chapter 20. Verse 22, chapter 20, Acts 20, verse 22. And he says, and now behold, bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. So Paul said, I'm headed to Jerusalem and in every city that I stop by on my way to the Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit ascends. There's bonds and affliction waiting for you. That place where you're going, there's pain coming, Paul. There's affliction coming, Paul. But Paul, because of his love for Christ and his obedience to finishing his course, his race, he's saying, I'm going forward. I'm, per- I'm pressing forward towards the mark of the prize. And then he says in 23, accept the Holy Spirit. Solomon testifies to me in every city that bonds and affliction await me. 24, look what he says here. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course. Remember, he loves Christ. So he says he loves him and he wants to finish his course. He says, and the ministry, which I received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify 
All right, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So what is the apostle showing us here in these texts here? He's showing us that his life, as he said, is not aimless, right? But he says his life is like a course. Because he said, I want to finish my course. He said, I have a mission, a course, or a race that I am in, that I'm a part of. And he says he wants to finish this course, this race that he has. But, but I want to show you what Paul shows us or who Paul shows us, who is one of the main inhibitors of him completing his race or this, this course that he has. Notice he says in 24 that I do not count, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So Paul is saying, it's not the devil that Paul is bringing out here that is stopping him or being an inhibitor of him completing his course or his race. Right In our society, we love to say the devil does it. The devil does hinder and he does stop. But right here in this text in 24, Paul is saying it is not the devil who's the inhibitor of him completing the course or completing his race and finishing the ministry that the Lord gives him. But the apostle Paul says it is him, it is we ourselves as the major inhibitor of us not completing the task that God has given us. So he says, I'm not counting my life as dear to myself. So that, he's, he's getting, that's the point that he's getting to. So I can complete this course that God has given me. So he said, it's myself that I'm not going to count my life as dear to because myself will inhibit me from completing this course that God has gave me to do. See, see, that echoes of Luke 9, 24, where the Lord says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. See, the one that says, no, it's my life and I'm going to do what I want to do with it. That is the person that actually loses his life. That is the person that is counting his life dear to himself. But Paul is saying, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to count my life as dear to myself because when I do that, it's going to take me off of the course or the race that I'm on. It's going to stop me from completing the, the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. See, right now in society, there's, there's a saying amongst young adults. If you live in the inner city, there's a saying amongst young adults. And, and that saying is, um, we have any really young adults in here? <laughs> oh, Linda, there we go. <laughs> there's there's a saying amongst young adults and that saying is um I'm just going to do me. That's the saying they say. And that that's slang for like or like maybe in another generation they would have said that I'm the captain of my own ship. All right, right? So that's just kind of just a, a different variation of that. So the, the saying amongst many young people is just I'm just doing me. I'm just I'm just going to do me. But the Apostle Paul is showing us that, no, doing you is actually going to stop you from completing the course that God has called you to do. See, that's why we can't just be us. And that is why when it comes to New Year's resolutions, we can't have resolutions that are all just about us. That all are just about temporal things because those temporal things will stop us from completing the course that the Lord Jesus gave us. And so the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is, is making that clear here. That we cannot, we have to watch ourselves because ourselves are the one that stop us from uh, finishing the race and completing our course. So 
you must ask yourself when it comes to these New Year's resolutions, when it comes to the plans that you're making, ask yourself, how will they affect the end goal of my life? The things that I'm pursuing, the things that I'm desiring this year, the things that I want to do, how will they affect my life? How will they affect the course of my life for Christ Jesus? How will they affect the ministry that I'm doing for the Lord? We must ask ourselves, um, how, was, how will this affect the race that I'm running? The things that I'm desiring, the things that I want to do, the goals that I'm making, the plans that I'm making. How will this affect the life that I'm pursuing, the race that I'm running? How will this affect my service to God or the things that I'm praying for or the things that I'm setting as goals in 2018? How will that affect my call? How would that affect my relationship with God? Would that better it? Would that better the kingdom of God? Would that further the kingdom of God? See, these are the things we must think about in the course of our life. Because we cannot count our life as dear to ourselves, because it will affect our service to the Lord. And so Paul is showing us here that that is something we have to be cautious about. But in this verse, he says that he is finishing his course. But the other thing that he says that he doesn't want to block himself from doing is, he says, and the ministry which the Lord Jesus gave him and the ministry. See, ministry is just another word meaning to serve. That's, that's all it means is to serve. It's to be a servant of the Lord, to serve the Lord by serving others, to serve the Lord by sharing the gospel, living out the gospel. That is Ministry, And guess what? It's not just Paul that is called to that ministry, but you and I, we are all called to this ministry. Now, you and I may not be frontier missionaries like the Apostle Paul or like Hudson Taylor. Those were frontier missionaries. They were going to places where the gospel has never been heard. So we may not have that call of ministry upon our lives, but God has gifted you in a way to serve him. That is what you want to be thinking about in 2018. How has God gifted me to serve him and his purposes? Think about Romans 12, 6 and 8, where it says this. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, if that's a gift, guess what? According to the proportion of his faith, if service and serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or if he exhorts and lifts up, guess what? In his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These were all the gifts that God has gifted people with. And, and the apostle Paul said, if God has gifted you with these gifts, go and use it and serve. So, so you must ask yourself, how has God gifted you to serve? What role does that play in you finishing the course of your life? What ministry has he called you to? Remember, ministry just means to serve. You have to think on these things, my brothers and sisters, because you have a race to run. So you want to know how, what gifts, how can I use it for his glory? I, I think about my wife. She, I say, my wife has a comfort ministry. I call it a comfort ministry because we can be at the grocery store. We can be, she can be in a bathroom. We can be at a restaurant and she'll engage with a conversation with another lady and they'll just pour her their heart out to her. 
I mean, just her job, so many people that just pour their heart out to her. And I'm like, babe, you have a comfort ministry. You go and you give words of wisdom. People just come to you. I'm like, how do you know so much about all these people? She's like, they just come and just tell me. And so it, it is something how God has gifted her where people feel like they can come and just confide in her and, and tell her their deepest, dark secrets. And so uh, I've been showing her like, that's how God has gifted you. You got to recognize that now and really begin to walk in it. See, that is part of her race. That is part of her course. That is part of her ministry to the Lord Jesus. And so she has to walk in it. So I'm asking you, what is your gifting how has God gifted you to run your race, to finish your course? We have to think on these things. Now, I kind of want to shift here. I want to shift from looking at our, our course that God has given us, the ministry, our race of life. And I, I want to shift to vision. I want to shift to how vision plays a role in aiding us in completing our course and how it also plays a role in helping us to rest in the promises of God along the way. So we're going to slightly shift to see how vision plays a role in our, in our race, in our course, and how it helps us to complete our course. Let me grab a little water here. Now, in 1952... There was a woman by the name of Florence Chadwich. Anybody ever heard of her? Florence Chadwich. She, uh, C-H-A-D-W-I-C-H. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel back and forth. Right? And her next feat was to swim from Catalina Island um, to the, like the, the shores of California, to like Long Beach, basically. So that was her goal. She was a great swimmer. She had already did the, the English Channel, and she wanted to swim from Catalina Island to Long Beach. And so she, she's in the water. It's the 15th hour. You're in the ocean. She's swimming 15 hours in. She's getting exhausted. She's tired. Her, her mom is by her on a boat, just encouraging her to keep going, keep going, Florence, keep going. And... It's, it's cold, the water's cold, and it's really foggy, so she can't even see what's around her, and she's just swimming. She's just swimming. She can't see. It's foggy, and her mom is encouraging her, and she just gets mentally drained and physically exhausted and says, I can't do it anymore. And so she stopped. They, they pull her out the water, and she gets in the boat to only find out that she was less than half a mile from shore. 15 hours in 15 hours in she was only half a mile away from shore and at a news conference the next day you know she's at a news conference Florence said this she said all I could see was the fog she said I think if I could have seen the shore I would have made it. vision she stopped because she couldn't see anymore, no vision. So close, all she seen was fog. And guess what, my brothers and sisters? In order for our lives to make sense, in order for us to get out of this mundane cycle, we must understand that we are in a race and that our life is a course. And we have to visualize the end results. We have to visualize the end goal that I am just a stranger here on this earth. 
that I am in exile, that this earth is not my home, and that I am looking for the return of my Lord Jesus Christ who will usher in a new world and new kingdom. See, this is not pump rah-rah speech, but this is truth. That is the end goal. That is the end result. That is something that we have to see to persevere in this life. Or we will be like Florence and we will get lost in the fog and just turn to nothing. See, we have to have vision of what we are aiming for. We have to remind ourselves what our hope is, what we are looking towards. That is how the Apostle Peter always brings this out in the book on suffering and persecution. He uses that to encourage the church. In 1 Peter 1.13, he tells the church who's suffering persecution, fix your hope completely, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. That's the end result. He said, he said, see it, focus, visualize, focus on that end goal, that end result as you're going through trials of life, as you're suffering loss, as you're suffering loss of loved ones and disease and sickness and pain in your body and different things. Focus on the mission. Focus on the goal, your course of life. Don't get off target. Vision. As we wait for Jesus to return and during our waiting period, just like Simeon doing his waiting period, we bring the kingdom of God to earth through our ways of living in our life as we wait for our Lord Jesus to come back. But we don't lose sight of the end goal. We have to keep the vision ahead of us. And the perfect example of this is just our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you he was the person of vision. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's look what it says here. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, he says we are in a race. This is our life. We're not just aimlessly living, just waking up. But no, we have a purpose. We are on mission. So he said there's a race. And verse two, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith. Look, here goes our verses where we're getting at. He says, who for the joy, look, set before him. So we see our Lord Jesus has vision here. He says, for the joy that is set before him. What did that joy do? It says here that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is our Lord Jesus? He has vision. He sees the end result. He knows what he's pursuing. He's pursuing this joy of being back in fellowship with the Father having have completed the mission because he says he is seated at the right hand of God. When you're sit, sitting down, that means that it's done, it's finished. So his mission is he wants to finish the task and the work that his father gave him. And so he wants to be back in his comfort and in his in his presence. So he said, that is what I'm pursuing. It's the, the joy of being back with my father. And it's the joy of bringing sons and daughters to God. As it tells us in 1 Peter 3.18, that the just die for the unjust so that he may bring us to God. See, that is part of his joy. It's, it's bringing us to the father. It's him being back at one with the father. And so he sees this joy. 
joy. He has the vision of what's before him and he's using that to endure whatever is being thrown at him. So we see our Lord here, he's, he's a person of vision. He sees the end result. He sees the goal. He has vision. He understands. He's not just aimlessly running a race. He knows what the end goal is, my brothers and sisters. That is why that has to stay before us as we live in this world. The end result has to stay before us. Let me show you another person with vision. Moses. Remember I said they all had this in common. Moses had vision. Turn just back to one chapter over in Hebrews chapter 11. So you were in 12. Look at 11. Hebrews 11. Look at 27. Let's see that Moses have vision. How did vision play a role in Moses in doing his life? It says, matter of fact, I'm going to start in 25 and I'm going to come down to 27. It says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of, of Egypt. For he was looking, there we go again, looking to the reward. 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Look, for he endured, how did he endure? As seeing him who is unseen. So, so how did Moses endure the, 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 the king, the Pharaoh? How, how did Moses endure the mess that he was going through? It says he was enduring as seeing him, God, who is invisible. So we see again another person who is using, who has vision, who recognizes what is before him and is using that to persevere, to, to, uh, to reach the task or the treasure that they're going after. See, he has a, a vision. He has purpose. He understands what he is doing. And understand here that in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is a chapter on faith, right? But we see Moses here having vision. So, so we see how faith and vision, they kind of overlap. That this is overlap with our, with our, with our faith and our vision, not with our physical eyes. I'm not talking about that vision, but I'm talking about in our spirit, in our mind's eye. There's this overlap of, of faith. And vision. So it's it's very important, my brothers and sisters, that you recognize where you're going, what you value, and pursuing it and always having it before you. See, we can also take this faith vision approach to the promises of God as well that we see in Scripture. And I want to show you that through uh, by looking at our, our brother um, Abraham and Sarah. They're a great example of what it looks like to see a person who has faith and vision in the promises of God. And so I was trying to figure out a way how to how to break this down because it's eight verses. But the only way I know how to do it is just to read all eight verses. So we're going to look at verse chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse eight. And we're going to come down to 16. So it's a lot of verses, but it's just I want you to see the context. And I want you to see how vision plays a role in them with the uh, in relation to the promises of God. So it says here. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, 
since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as did, as that, as many descendants, as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 13. All of these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, we just talked about this just briefly summarizing Abraham and Sarah. But let me kind of give you some background to this verse right here. So God speaks to Abraham. This is in Genesis. He speaks to Abraham and he tells Abraham that I am going to bless you um, and you're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. And that's just like Hebrew um, hyperbole. It, it, does, it just means that you're going to have a lot of descendants. It, that's what that means. You're going to have, you'll see that as you go through the Old Testament. You'll see the sand of the sea, uh, the stars of the sky. That'll be used oftentimes to just describe enemies of God or just people in general. That's just hyperbole to say it's going to be a lot of people. So, so God gives Abraham this promise that he's going to bless him. Not only does he say he's going to bless him with a descendants and um, kids, but he tells him he's going to give him this land, the promised land. And Abraham believes God, and the scripture says it was accounted for him as righteousness. But in the middle of this, God did something incredible, particularly as it relates to the land. See, in Genesis 12, that's when God first appears to Abraham and he tells him of the promises. But then in 13, this is where the, the, the beauty is. In 13, God takes Abraham into the land that he's going to give him. And in chapter uh, uh, 13, uh, verse 14 in, in chapter 13, he tells him to look up and down, east and west. As far as your eye sees, and he says, I'm going to give all of this land to you and your descendants. Then in verse 17 of that verse, God does the incredible thing to me. This, this is really incredible. He tells Abraham to rise up and he says to start walking up and down the land that I'm going to give you. So he, remember, he had already made this, prayer, this promise to Abraham. He told him, just look, look east, west, north, and south. You're going to see as far as your eyes can see, this land is going to be yours. And then he tells Abraham to get up and then he says, walk around in it. Walk around in this land that I'm going to give you and your descendants. Go and feel. Just go and walk around. Let that dust go on your feet. He didn't say that, but I'm just adding that. What God is doing to Abraham, he's helping Abraham to develop a vision. See, what God is doing with Abraham is what every car salesman or real estate person does in their profession. See, if you've ever tried to purchase a car, what does the salesman want you to do? He wants you to get in the car. He wants you to grip the steering wheel. Because when you do that, now you can begin to envision yourself driving this car. You can envision the kids in the back. You can envision your wife, whoever it is. See, they want to get you in the car because they want you to develop a vision of this car being yours. That is why they do that. Or in the real estate, if you get a realtor, what do they want you to do? Go and walk around the house. They want you to walk around the house. 
And look at the different rooms. Why? They're trying to build up vision in you. They want you to say, oh, the tools can go there. Oh, the kids' room can go there. Oh, look at that backyard. Can't you see us having picnics back here and parties? Why do they do that? They're trying to develop vision in you. They're trying to get you to see vision. And so we see that God is doing that with Abraham. He's telling him, go and walk in it. Go and see it. This is going to be yours. He's helping him to develop vision for what he's going to do his, through his promises. Now, Abraham did receive the promise of a son. We know that. He received the son. But he did not physically receive the promised land like probably he had envisioned in his life. But the text says in back in Hebrews, is that while maybe he didn't physically get it, he's seen it, he says. He's seen it from afar in Hebrews 11. It says that he's seen the promise and he made it, made it his. And because what he seen was so beautiful, so beyond just the land, that he decided to turn in his earthly passport and say that this is not my home. I'm just in exile here. Because of the vision of God's promises, it was so clear, so beautiful that he realizes, oh, this is mine. I, I don't even want this land. I, I just, I want what I am seeing. See, Abraham had visualized the promises of God and he began to make it his own even before he physically got to walk in it and see it with, with it being in its full beauty. So, so, so the point that I'm getting here, the point that I want you to see is that Jesus promises to his disciples, to those who keep his commandments, that they will be set free by the truth. And, and he's, in, in the context, this is John 8, in the context, he's talking about freedom from the power and the grips of sin. This is a promise that Jesus is making to his disciples. He's saying that the truth will set you free. If you are my, my disciples, if you follow my commandments and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, it will set you free. And in the context that being set free is from the power and grips of sin. Now, couple that, couple that with Romans six, the whole chapter you can read on that, where we see that sin should no longer have dominion over the born again believer. These are the words of God. These are promises that God is making. See, the point I'm getting that I want you to see, there are areas in your life, there may be areas in your life where sin is getting the upper hand. You have not experienced victory in that. But God has promised, and just like Abraham, while you have not seen that victory in your life, you must begin to start seeing the victory in your life. You must be able to get a vision of yourself walking in peace. If it's an addiction to whatever it is, you must be able to see yourself being set free from those addictions. You must begin to see that vision, that target, that promise of God, just like our brother Abraham it was. He, he didn't fully have it yet, but he's seen it. He believed the promises of God so strongly that he can see it and almost taste it. See, you have to do the same thing. God has promised you victory in so many areas where sin is winning. You got to see yourself being set free. Because if you can't even visualize and see it in your spirit, in your in your heart, in your mind's eye, you are not going to believe this in faith. You must begin to take on, if, if it's peace that you're lacking, peace is a promise from God that, that we can have his peace. So you must see yourself living in the peace of God, not stressing, totally just resting in him, knowing that he has all things covered. See, you have to begin to see that victory in your life. Can you see that? Can you see you walking in victory? 
Can you see the chains of God uh, of sin being um, let loose from you? Can you see you walking in the freeness of God because you're trusting in Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in your heart? Can you see that? See, that we have to get a vision for the promises of God in our own life. You have to see you walking in victory. You must see it, my brothers and sisters. If there's issues such as gluttony, which is um, a lack of self-control where you're just being overcome by food, you must understand that you have dominion over that sin. That is from the word of God. So you have to see yourself saying no and see yourself being transformed and taking victory over those areas, which in result will change your physical figure. See, we have so much victory, but we're not even seeing the victory that God has promised us. We're just throwing up a prayer and not even saying and believing that, yes, God, you're going to do this thing because your word has said it. I believe it. Your word has said it. Now, when I was doing this study, I was so hesitant to even say the words that I just said because I'm like, God, this sounds so close to prosperity gospel messages I hear where they say, if you want to be rich, just believe you're going to be rich. If you want to just be well, just believe you're going to be well and just see yourself being well or see yourself being rich. And, and that's not at all what I'm saying here. I don't have scriptures or, or verses of text that guarantees richness or you won't get sick. But I do have scripture that guarantees victory over sin. Do have scripture about peace, hope, and joy. So you can bank on those. I can't tell you're going to be rich, but I can tell you that the peace of God can change your life. That you can get victory from sin. See, those things you can visualize and see. This other stuff, I can't speak on that, but you can rest in the true promises that you see in scripture and see them working in your life. See, that is vision. And so in order for us to finish this course that we're running, we have to see the end goal. We have to see the promises that God has made to us and, and like Abraham, to see him and make them our own, even though we haven't physically touched them or, or seen them anything like that yet. But you have to visualize. You have to understand that your life, you have purpose, you have mission, you have a goal, you have an aim. You are not like the world. We're not just beating and shadow boxing. We have a purpose. You have somewhere you're going. And so as you look forward to this upcoming year, you must understand, my brothers and sisters, your life, you got so much that God has called you to do. You, I, we all have a ministry. God has gifted all of us for his purposes. Let those be your resolutions. Let the kingdom of God be the main thing that you're focusing on this year. As Pastor Brown was saying, have Big visions for God doing great things in this church and using you as a servant. Look big. You got a big God. You got to think bigger that he can do great things. You got to visualize and see him doing things according to his scriptures, according to his promises. These are the things, my brothers and sisters, we have to look forward to as we go into this new year that we're already in. I would have said that last year, but we're already in it, so... Let us pray. Lord God, we we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your promises that we can take them into ourselves. and believe we have victory in areas where we may be losing. God, I pray that you bring my brothers and sisters to revelation of the gift that you have given them. 
to serve you, to serve others, that they understand that their life is not pointless, that they have a mission, that they have a course that they are in, and that each day is about getting to that end goal and serving you and bringing your kingdom down in our lives while we wait for you to return, Lord. God, make your words come alive to my brothers and sisters as they go throughout their day. In Jesus' name, amen. Right.